morning. Everybody doing well? Good to see you here this morning. Uh, I know we have a lot of people still out and traveling because of Thanksgiving holidays. How many of you had a great weekend this weekend? Anybody? Amen. A lot of, a lot of good times with family and friends, I hope, and, uh, and, and a lot of good food. I know for me personally, that's, that's the best is the food. You know, that, that food is the best. And, and I don't know about you, but uh, this, this was the first, uh, first year ever where I ate so much at lunch, I couldn't eat at supper. And so I, I tell you, it was just, I overdid it in a big way on lunch, and it was so good, and I, I tell you, I couldn't get over it. So I, I had to fast for about three days just to, to get past uh, what I had for Thanksgiving on, on uh, lunch on Thanksgiving. But I hope you had a great weekend. It's great to see you here today. If you're visiting with us today, we're glad that you're here as well. We've been walking through a, a very short series called Seasons, and what we've been talking about in this series is talking about how we can trust God in the midst of these seasons. Sometimes we have uh, times in our life where things are good. Sometimes we have times in our life where things are a little uncertain or not so good. And so uh, it's in those moments or those seasons where we have to sometimes dig deep and learn how to trust God. And so that's what we've been walking with or walking through. And so we're gonna wrap that up this, this morning and then next week, we're going to kick off our Christmas at Cross Point series as we start focusing on, on Christmas. I tell you, we just seem to move from Thanksgiving straight into Christmas. How many of you started decorating yesterday? Anybody? Yeah, there's a, a few of you. Uh, it just always seems to be on Thanksgiving Day. That's a, a big shift for us to move into to Christmas. And so we're going to be kicking that series off next week. Really looking forward to just spending Christmas with you uh, in, in a time of worship. But let's pray this morning. We're gonna dive into God's word and see what it is that he wants to teach us here today. So Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you, God, for your presence in this place. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather each and every week and, and just worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, I know that there's a lot of us, uh, a lot of our faith family that's out traveling and coming home uh, from, from being away this weekend. Lord, we just pray that you would keep them safe. Lord, for those of us that are here today, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds for this time together as we just continue to, to worship you, Lord, through the reading and the preaching of your word. I pray, Father, that as we open up your word, God, that your word would, be, uh, would come alive to us. And, and Lord, it would be a time in, in this time of worship where we just hear from you and hear what it is that you want to teach us this morning. God, we just thank you so much for everything that you're doing in our life. And Lord, as we have uh, just recognized uh, that we are walking through a time of thanksgiving, Lord, we have so much to be thankful because of you and so, so much to be thankful for. God, we just love you so much and we praise you and we worship you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Well, let me ask you this morning, how many of you ever been through a really bad time in your life? Anybody this morning? been through a really bad time in your life. You know, the reality is if you've lived any amount of time at all, you've probably been through some, some good times in your life. You've also been in some really bad times of your life. We all experience those, those times uh, when things are just not so good. Uh, we, we endure situations that we wonder how we're gonna get through. But let me ask you this. How many of you ever been through a time in your life where it was bad and it went from bad to worse? You ever been at those places where it just seems to, you know, you, you, you wonder if you're gonna get through a situation and then instead of it sort of coming to an end or, 
or you being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, it just seems to keep on going and you begin to realize that, man, this is a, this is a bad season. This is a bad time in my life. It just seems like there's so many problems right now in my life. And then as you start looking at those problems, they just seem to compound and, and, and they seem to grow and it just seems like just life goes from bad to worse. I know there have been times in my life where that has been a situation in my life. I know that for many of you, you have experienced that as well. It's just one of those things that we have to, to deal with as we walk through life. Uh, and, and you know, as, as believers and followers of Christ Jesus, it's in those moments when things seem to go from bad to worse that a lot of times we wanna just sort of throw in the towel or we wanna just be done with it. We wanna give up. It's, it's during those times that we often find it very difficult to trust God. And, and you know, as we've been walking through this series, we've been talking about the importance of trusting God in the midst of seasons. And so that's what we're gonna sort of focus in on today. You know, it, it's just how to get through those times in our life where it just seems like we can't win for losing. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love college football. I love everything about college football. It's, it's, my, it's the number one sport that I follow. Uh, I, I just, I love everything about college football, I believe. I love the fan base. I love how fans come out and support their team. And, and if you just watch college football uh, on Saturday afternoons, you see some of the fans in the, state, in the stands and how they, they dress the part, you know, for this fanatical fan that's in there. And they, some of them paint their whole bodies and they just really get into it. I love that aspect uh, of college football. I love the rivalries that exist. And some rivalries have been going on forever, it seems. And, and so I know this year, I mean, this, this weekend, Thanksgiving holiday, a lot of rivals were playing each other. I love the marching band. I love how uh, the, the marching band in the, in the middle of a game when there's this big drive and your team is, is making their way toward the end zone, how the marching band just, you know, with the music they're playing, those fight songs that they're playing, it just really fires you up and it gets you just really you know, excited about the game. And I love the game itself. I love those plays, especially when they're really spe spectacular and they're, they're, you know, just amazing plays and you see somebody break for that run or catch that amazing pass. I just love every aspect about it. I also love the rankings in college football. And, you know, it, it, especially if you're up there in the upper top uh, tier of, uh, of the rankings, but I follow the rankings. It just gives me something to do as I, as I compare this team with that team. And one of the things that you notice in the rankings very clearly and very, uh, you know, it's just very obvious is that, you know, some teams are doing a whole lot better than other teams. And it's, but it, it never goes without fail that every team has seasons that are really good seasons, you know, where they're doing really good. And then there's other times when, when they're having really bad seasons. That is, of course, if you're not Alabama, they never have a bad season, right? Uh, and so, whatever. And so, anyway, it's just, <laughs> it's just one of those things that we, we notice about college football. There's good seasons, there's bad seasons. And there's one thing that always comes with college football when it comes to bad seasons is there's this phrase that's always attached to it. And you probably, if you're getting ahead of me here, you probably know what I'm talking about. But if you're having a really bad season, there's always this phrase that we say, right? There's always next year, right? We always, uh, there, maybe next year. We, we have this, this hope, this desire that next year is gonna be a, a better year, right? And so we, we always sort of lean on that. But when it comes to life, and we're going through a really bad season, 
And when that bad season seems to go from a bad season to a, a worse season in our life, when things really begin to sort of tumble and spiral out of control, uh, it, it's not as easy as saying maybe there's next year or we always have next year. Life just seems to go on, doesn't it? It seems to just keep pressing through. There's, there's no escaping it. There's no getting out of it. When life is bad, it's just bad. And so when life is bad like that, when we find ourselves in those moments where it goes from bad to worse, how do we find the strength and the courage and the faith that we need to trust God in the midst of those situations? I think it's very important that we do trust God. I think it's in trusting God that we, that we can uh, find ourselves still filled with joy despite the circumstance. I think it's, in faith, it's our faith in God that helps us to keep marching forward in the midst of that bad season. But we have to learn somehow to trust God. And so that's what we've been talking about as we've been walking through this series. But today I wanna, I wanna really focus on trusting God despite our misfortunes. That's the, the title to this message here today. Or in other words, trusting God when things go from bad to worse. This morning we're gonna be looking at Genesis chapter 45. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there this morning. We're gonna look at verse 45. But I, but I wanna walk through for you this morning, the story of Joseph. And the story of Joseph doesn't begin in, in chapter 45. In fact, the story of Joseph begins in chapter 37 of Genesis, and it goes all the way through chapter 50. And so what we have is a, is a rather long story, and I wanna, I wanna just sort of center in on this story because I think there's so much that we can learn from the life of Joseph. But if we start at chapter 37, we begin to see this man named Joseph, and he was actually a young man. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he was 17 years old, and he was a, he was a man who was living out his, his young man life uh, as a shepherd. He was a guy who was no doubt a part of a very large family, and we begin to learn some things about Joseph right away as we begin to, to read this story. We begin to realize that that his dad loved him very much. In fact, the scriptures say that he loved him more than his other brothers. And so because of that, we begin to see something else begin to take place in the family. We begin to see this sort of hatred sort of spring up uh, toward uh, their brothers. These brothers of Joseph begin to, to really dislike this young man and really begin to, the scriptures say, hate him. But something else happened that really sort of solidified this hatred that they had for him. Uh, we, we begin to see in the story of Joseph how he had had this dream one day, and as he was dreaming, uh, he, he, it, it was revealed to him that he would someday be over his brothers. And so the next morning, he woke up, he shares the dream, and his dad obviously was okay with that but because he was his favorite, but the reality was the brothers didn't like that at all. They didn't like the fact that he would be somebody who would be over them, and so this hatred began to grow. And what we see in the story of Joseph is we see this man who's, uh, for the first part of his life, up until he was about 17, he had a pretty good season in life. Things were going well. He's part of a big family. And then things began to turn because his brothers started plotting against him. And they started plotting to kill him. Uh, they were literally plotting to murder their brother. And this is what they set out to do. So you can begin to see the story go from bad to worse. It wasn't just a hatred. It wasn't just sibling fighting that was happening in their life, but they actually set out to kill young Joseph. But as they 
started that process. Uh, they, they, they finally decided, no, let's do something different. Instead of killing him, let's sell him into slavery. And so they sold him to some traveling merchants that were passing through, and they sold this young man off, and into slavery, Joseph went. So you look at his life, and you say, man, this guy who was living a pretty good life, suddenly it was just sort of turning on him. And, and what we see as we begin to realize and, and study the story of Joseph is that he was, he was eventually sold to a high-ranking Egyptian named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was a guy who was, who was in leadership. He was a, he was a pretty high-ranking official. And so uh, what happened is Joseph went into this man's household. He became a servant of Potiphar. And right away, he began to sort of rise in the ranks. He was one who was seen as a, a trusted servant. He began to uh, be very trusted by Potiphar. And so Potiphar was, was sort of elevating Joseph. And so we look at his story. He had a good life. It went from bad to worse. And then suddenly, he's sort of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Even though he was a slave still, even though he was a servant, things were getting a, a good for him, and things were beginning to, to pick up, and we begin to see this story unfold, and we begin to, you know, if, if you're reading the story, you begin to sort of cheer for Joseph. You want something good to happen in his life, and you see this happen, but then all of a sudden, it goes from bad to worse again, because what happens is he's accused of making sexual advancements toward Potiphar's wife, and this is where it goes bad again. He finds himself in prison as you can imagine, and, and, and so he, he, he finds himself in prison. He's lost his stature. He's lost his honor as the most trusted servant, and for the next two years, this young man is in prison. One of the things that God had gifted this man with was the ability to interpret dreams, and he had done that while he was in prison until one day there was a guy who had done time with Joseph who was now the cupbearer of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh had had this dream, and he was trying to figure out what the dream was all about. And so what happens is the cupbearer tells Pharaoh, there's a man named Joseph who can interpret your dream. So they send for Joseph, and he comes to Pharaoh. Here's this prisoner brought before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh shares the dream with him. And so what happens is Joseph begins to interpret the dream. This is how he interprets it. He says there's going to be seven years of blessed Harvest. In other words, there's going to be a bountiful harvest for the next seven years. Things are going to be really good. We're going to have several good seasons uh, of harvest, and we're going to we're going to see record numbers of uh, of of harvest taken in. But there's also going to be following that seven years of famine, and there's not going to be a harvest. In fact, there won't be anything to harvest. And so, uh, what he suggests to Pharaoh is to to begin storing the grain for the future. Well, Pharaoh sees that this man is a very wise man, and so he elevates him back to a place of stature. And so as you look at Joseph's life, you see what may resemble a lot like our life. We begin to see this man who had good days and good times in his life where things seemed to be going really well and then out of circumstances that were maybe out of his control, he sort of slipped down and he found himself in a bad place and not just a bad place, but in times it went from bad to worst. And then other times he was elevated back up. And so he would find himself there and then back down. And so he had these remarkable highs and he had these remarkable lows in his life. But through the years, 
Joseph learned a lot about how he should trust God, whether things are good or whether things are bad. And so this morning, we're gonna be looking at this as we dive into this text because what happens is, and wouldn't you know, that during this time of famine, the brothers come to Egypt looking to buy the grain that has been stored. And what had happened was Pharaoh had placed Joseph in charge of the distribution of these grains. If they were to buy grain, they were gonna have to come to their brother whom they had no idea was the one who was in charge now. And so the tide had turned on them. It was really interesting. I think it's very interesting how the very one that they tried to get rid of was the one who eventually they had to turn back to to survive. And so we see this situation come where the, the brothers are coming to, uh, to buy grain and Joseph immediately recognizes them. He sees his brothers, he knows who they are, but what is interesting is they don't recognize him. They're probably thinking that this guy is gone to some far, far away land, sold into slavery, never see him again. In fact, they were, they were so brutal in what they did to Joseph that they had taken his coat dipped it in blood, taken it to their father and actually lied to their father about him being eaten by some wild beast. And so this was what they had, uh, they had sort of assumed and had told uh, so many people for so many years. And as we look at this story, what is interesting is we probably would expect Joseph to be harboring a lot of bitterness toward his brothers. We figured that he was probably someone who if he could just get his hands on his brothers, he would bring them to justice, right? But we don't see that in this, in this thing because as we look at Joseph's stories, we see that through the good seasons and the bad ones, Joseph had learned to trust God. And that's what we wanna look at here today as we read through this text. So read with me, if you will, Genesis chapter 45, starting with verse four, and we'll read through verse eight. The scriptures say this, it says, so Joseph said to his brothers, remember they're there to buy grain and he's looking at them and he recognizes them, they don't recognize he, him. So it says to his brothers, he says, come near to me please. And they came near. And he said to them, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors." So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He had made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and rulers over all the land of Egypt. You know, I look at this story and I realize that sometimes the most difficult seasons that we find ourselves in, even in those moments, God has a remarkable plan. How many of you are thankful for that? that despite the fact that you may be going through something really difficult, even sometimes those extended times of your life that we can identify as really bad seasons, that even in all of that, God 
oftentimes has a greater plan than anything we could imagine. You know, I, I love looking at this passage because three times here Joseph recognizes that truth. Three times we see where Joseph tells his brothers, don't be angry with yourself. Don't be fearful of what's gonna happen here. He says, I recognize that God had a greater purpose in all of this, and as he's looking at this, he tells them, he says, he says, God sent me here. He says, God sent me here to preserve life. He says, God sent me here to go before you that there would be survivors because we have stored up the grain. He says, God has sent me here, and even though you think this might be because of something you have done to me, God saw a greater plan and had a greater purpose in all of this. And so here we see this recognition that even though he has gone through these difficult seasons in his life, that God has a great plan. Now look at this story, and obviously looking from verse 37 all the way to 50, uh, there's so much we could learn. In fact, I wish we had about 38 hours where we could just sit here and walk through this together. I love the story of Joseph. I love what God did in his life despite these situations that he walked through. But just walking through a few lessons that we learn here, a few takeaways from this story, we see several different things. I think as parents, I think it's wise that we see the warnings concerning favoritism. We see the effects that it has on other children. And so we take away that favoritism is not something that we necessarily should show as parents. We also have a great example on how to handle sexual temptation. When, when Potiphar's wife comes to Joseph and she makes her advances toward him, one of the things that we see that Joseph does is he flees from the situation. So how do we handle sexual temptation? We run, right? We just run from it. We just get away from it as quickly as we can. So we see this lesson as we read through his life. We also see a lesson on how to forgive and have mercy on those who have done us wrong. You know, you look at this situation and everything that the brothers did to Joseph, and yet you see this situation unfold here when the brothers are standing before Joseph, and we see someone who is filled with forgiveness. He is someone who is very merciful and graceful in their life. He shows grace to them. They don't deserve it, but he shows it anyway. And so we see this. And then we also see God's sovereignty in, in, in overcoming evil and bringing about his plan when he wants to bring about his plan. And so we see these lessons as we read through Joseph's story. But I think one of the greatest takeaways, one of the things that as I read through this story that really struck me the most about what we can learn from this or what we can take away from this is the reality that Joseph's story parallels the story of Jesus. In other, way, in other words, how we see Joseph respond to his brothers is exactly how we see Jesus respond to us in life. And as I looked at that, I remember just being so profoundly changed by this reality and so challenged by the truth of God's word that I, I wanted to just share this with you here this morning. There are several truths that we begin to see in this passage. And one of the truths about Jesus and what we know about Jesus concerning 
uh, his relationship with sinners is that Jesus always draws sinners near. Jesus draws sinners near. The scriptures are clear that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. The scriptures are very clear that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, as we're living our life in pursuit of, uh, of the things of this world, as we're living our life as sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God, as we live our lives whose, whose, whose eternal judgment for being a sinner is death, while we were living out our life as sinners, Christ was willing to go to the cross for you and for me. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. There's this reality that Christ loves us despite the sin in our life. And because he loves us, he was willing to die for us. But he just doesn't stop there. While we were yet still living for the world, he's drawing men and women unto himself. And the calling that he gives to us as the sinner is to respond to him by drawing near to him. Now, I want you to look at Joseph's story here for just a moment. As we read verse four, we see this, and we see this, uh, this parallelism in Joseph's story. As Joseph says to his brothers, it says in verse four, he says this, he says, come near to me, please, and they came near. And then look at what he says to them. And he said to them, I am your brother. You know, one of the things that we see here that is just so profound to me is the grace that Joseph shows toward his brothers. What is it that they deserved? They deserved punishment. I mean, just think about the way that these brothers had treated Joseph. When they stood before him, I mean, it probably wouldn't surprise any of us if when they came looking for grain, he looked at them and said, throw them in jail. He had the power to do so. He had the power to condemn them. He had the power to do away with them. He could have hung them from the, from the highest tree in the land. He could have just done what they did to him. He could have done to them. He could have thrown them away, locked them up, thrown away the key, and never seen them again. He could have been harboring such bitterness and resentment toward his brothers for the way they treated him that he didn't want anything to do with them. They deserved that, the way they treated him. But what do we see in this man named Joseph? We see grace. We see mercy. Here's what we see more than anything. We see restoration of a family. Does that sound familiar to you? As we think about our life as sinners, as we think about the things that we deserve as, when we sin against God, it's a wonder that God would have anything to do with us, isn't it? But we know that we have been saved by what? By grace, through what? Faith in Christ Jesus. We have been saved by grace through faith. In other words, we don't deserve the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that Christ freely bestows upon us, but because of his great love, he has saved us. You see how this story, as we look into this story, we can, we can find ourselves saying, these are the lessons that we learn from Joseph, no doubt, but a greater lesson to be learned is how this story points to the gospel. How this story points to Jesus and reminds us of the grace of God in our own life. And so we see this begin to, 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 
to just unfold. It says, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me. He's telling them to come near because they don't recognize him. In the same way, we don't recognize the Savior when we're living in our sin. And so Jesus says, come near to me. And in coming near to him, we suddenly find ourselves looking into the eyes of Christ. We see ourselves finally seeing the truth about who Jesus is as the scales fall from our eyes and we become very aware of who Jesus is in our own life. We see the same sort of thing unfolding here. As Joseph says to them, come near to me, and I will come near to you. What a beautiful picture of forgiveness and mercy and grace. I love this story. I can only imagine. I can only imagine what went through the brothers' minds as they were standing there just asking to buy grain. I mean, here's what they wanted to do. They wanted to purchase some grain and go home. That's all they wanted to do. And so suddenly, Joseph says, I want you to come a little bit closer. I want you to come near to me. And as they walk up and they get closer, suddenly they're not just, they're no longer standing there looking at the number two guy in the nation. They suddenly come close enough where they can look into their eyes and see that it's not just a ruler of Egypt, it's their brother. I don't know about you, but because of what they had done in their life, I can only imagine that all the blood at that moment in their life went to their feet. You ever been there? Where you just, I, it happened all the time with me and my dad growing up, you know, it would be like he would sort of find me out and he'd say, come here, son, and it would dawn on me that I'm caught, you know, as a little boy, I'm like, oh no, and suddenly the blood just, you know, it just seems like all of life just comes to a halt and all the blood falls to your feet because you don't know what the punishment's gonna be, right? And so I can only imagine as these brothers stood before Joseph and they suddenly saw who he was and they suddenly began to realize what they deserved, they didn't know what to expect. I imagine before I die, there's gonna be a lot of things that have happened in my life that I forget. I'm already getting a little, a little more forgetfulness as you get older. I think that's just something that comes with age, right? But there's also gonna be some things I never forget. And one of the things that I'm never gonna forget is the day that Jesus said to me, come near, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. I'll never forget the day when I suddenly became aware, truly aware of who Christ Jesus really was. Suddenly the weight of my sin, everything, that the, the, the understanding that I am a sinner and that I deserve nothing but death and eternal separation from God. Suddenly that awareness that was upon me was heavy, but only to realize that Jesus was taking that burden for me, that he was forgiving me of my sin, that he was giving me mercy and grace that I may be saved and that I may walk as a child of God. Boy, the overwhelming sense of joy and hope that came from that truth. I can only imagine how you must have felt the day Jesus saved your life. What a beautiful, beautiful thing it is when we come to that place in our life where we realize exactly who Jesus really is. Hebrews 4.16 says this, 
says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. I love this verse because it speaks of so much of what we've been talking about. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Who sits upon the throne of grace? None other than Jesus. And so let us draw near to the throne of grace, grace receiving that which we don't deserve, that we may receive mercy and forgiveness and find grace in a help to help in a time of need. When are we most in need? When we find ourselves in that place, that season of life where things have gone from bad to worse. And so we see this truth that Jesus has this remarkable way of drawing even sinners unto himself. Truth number two, though, is what we sort of wrap things up with, and that is this, that there is hope in Christ. It's not that the Lord Jesus just simply saves us, and that's the end of the story. It's not that he just simply washes away our sin, and, and we can spend an eternity in the presence of a holy and righteous God but he does so much more for us. He eradicates hopelessness in our life. In life, when things have gone from bad to worst, usually the greatest emotion that seems to want to take over in our life is the emotion of feeling hopeless. Jesus eradicates that. Jesus wipes that away because Jesus is our hope. And knowing Jesus is our hope changes everything about the way we choose to look at life's circumstances. The things that we're walking through, the seasons of good, the seasons of bad, none of it really seems to matter when Jesus is our hope. It doesn't matter. Because he is our hope, we are no longer hopeless. And when we are no longer hopeless, we can find joy and peace that sustains us in the midst of the bad times in our life. Jesus is the answer to our hopelessness. And here we see the parallels in this story as we read here as, Jesus, as, as Joseph interacts with his brothers, he says this. He says, now don't be distressed. Don't be discouraged. He says, don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. He says, he says to them, he says, don't be angry over the mess that you find yourself in. There's no reason to be. You see, Joseph doesn't want to harm his brothers. He cares deeply for him. He says, don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves. He says, for God has sent me before you to preserve life. In other words, Joseph has come to this place in his life where he recognizes that all the ups and all the downs had a greater purpose. And that greater purpose was that he would be sent, not that his brothers would find death, but that his brothers would find life. 
Does that sound familiar to you? Do you see the parallel of the stories between Joseph's story and the story of Jesus and the fact that the Father has sent his Son ahead of us that we may have not death, but have life? What a beautiful story. John once wrote about Jesus. He said this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If there's any passage of scripture, if there's any source of truth in God's word that would encourage us and give us hope in Christ Jesus, it's this one. In the midst of everything that we're going through, when things go from bad to worse, when we find ourselves feeling hopeless in life, let us remember John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Joseph says, without this to his brothers, there's hopelessness out there. He says, you see, there's gonna be five more years. We're not even halfway through this time of famine. The bad times are not over. He's saying, and out there, all that is waiting for you is famine. He says, the ground will not be plowed. The ground will not be harvested. There is nothing but hopelessness out there. But here, there is hope. And here, there is life. And as we look at the gospel message of Christ Jesus, we come to realize that the most important thing we can learn, the most incredible lesson that we could embrace is that Jesus takes away that hopelessness and he offers to us the hope that can only be found in Christ. You see, what Joseph was really good at was recognizing how a bad situation, God can take that and make it good. He began to trust God with everything. He began to see God's glory in every aspect of his life. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For me, I'll never forget the day when Jesus called me and drew me near, wooing me with his Holy Spirit, helping me to come to that place in my life where I became fully aware of everything that Jesus was to me living my life as a young man and realizing that everything that lay before me as a sinner who was in need of salvation was hopelessness. But the day that the scales fell from my eyes and I, I became fully aware of the hope that is in Christ Jesus and not just become aware of the hope that is in Christ Jesus, but realize that what Jesus was saying to me Come close. Come close and I will be close with you. That Jesus was saying to me, abide in me and I will abide in you. 
Jesus gave me purpose. Jesus helped me realize that even in the midst of bad, God has a better way. How do we trust God when things go from bad to worst? We have the faith to believe that he sent his son to die on a cross for the wages of our sin and that through his blood we have the atonement and the forgiveness of sin that we can stand before him righteous and cleansed and no longer hopeless but filled with peace and joy and hope. Trust God even when things go from bad to worst. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray, and I don't know in what way God may have spoke to you this morning, maybe for you, maybe for some here today. You've been living your life for too long. It's been too long of a season to live a life where you just feel hopeless. And maybe today what God has said to you is that find your hope in me. And I pray that for you, that's where you find your hope. For those of us who are living in seasons where things are good, where things are great, where things are wonderful, and we feel more blessed than ever before, then let us be thankful to God. But let us also be able to trust God and prepare for those times when things may turn.